Sometimes I get a real sore back, like this past summer. And what if I go to my doctor and he says, well, why don't you try some marijuana for the pain? This question would have been laughable or even offensive years ago, even inappropriate just a few years ago. But the tide of public opinion is changing rapidly. In 2006, a survey said 50% uh, 50 said smoking marijuana was morally bad. Just seven years later, that dropped to 23%. And just recently, about 75% of the population say it's okay for medicinal purposes. Matter of fact, 50% of the U.S. states have made it legal to use medicinal marijuana, and many of those states have a large presence of Lutherans in them. That's kind of interesting. A handful of states have made recreational marijuana legal, and our own federal, Canadian federal government has legalized its use. So what does that mean for the Christian? What does this mean for the church? I mean, I visit people all the time with some very serious ailments, and now that marijuana is legal, they are going to ask, Pastor, is it okay for me to use marijuana for my pain? For years I believed it was wrong because the government said so. Now what should I do in good conscience? And by the way, don't worry, we will talk about the recreational use of marijuana in another podcast, but we're going to look at the medical use of marijuana in this podcast. The medical profession is based on science. Science behind marijuana is not very good because the substance that is studied has been illegal. So science has to do a lot of catching up, and they're trying. Long-term studies are almost non-existent, so we'll have to be patient. Most research that has been done has, studies, has studied its abuse, not its benefit. So the jury's not out on all of its benefits. What scientists after all, has wanted to put his life and career on the line to study a drug that has been illegal and that has been a, and has a stigma attached to it. So we're going to have to be patient. Now that is not to say that there hasn't been some studies. For example, the human body's endocannabinoid system has been studied now far more. And the end endocannabinoid system is part of every human's physiology. It functions as the body's natural way of receiving cannabinoids, including tetrahydrocannabinol, THC for short, the main psychoactive ingredient in marijuana that produces a high. Along with this research, scientists are discovering legitimate medical uses for marijuana. Everything from chemotherapy treatments to ALS and MS. Still, for all the increase in research, the results remain limited to recent history. 
Obstacles in the past have prevented quality long-term research. Long-term effects, therefore, can only be guessed at at this point. So, three things to consider when you start to do your own research. Use credible sources, first of all, but three things to consider. Number one, older research can start from a negative viewpoint, which might lead to negative bias. Number two, in reaction to that negative bias, the newest research at times can go too far in the other direction, strongly serving as a proponent and coming across as very accusatory of past research. And third, long-term effects are not well understood. Be careful of your research. It's a jungle out there. When it is a jungle out there, we make sure we get a guide through the jungle. Our guide is going to be our conscience, which is guided, we pray, by the word of God. And we will get to that in just a minute. But first, we need to take a look at what we do know about marijuana and some of the research that is being done. And this will be just a really quick overview. Cannabis is the name of a flowering plant type that has been used throughout history for a variety of purposes, including food, fiber, fuel, medicine, and shelter. Typically, there are two species of the cannabis plant used especially for recreational purposes, cannabis indica and cannabis sativa, each has a general purpose within recreational use. Generally, indica, nicknamed indicouch, provides a deep feeling of relaxation or sleepiness compared with sativa, nicknamed viva sativa, which provides a more energetic or uplifting high. People normally use the word marijuana in its broadest sense, as any mixture or compound taken from a cannabis plant which is used to get high. When understood in this sense, a tremendous amount of other words become synonymous with marijuana, and perhaps the most common is the word pot. So, how cannabis works. The key to understanding how cannabis affects humans is knowing how the endocannabinoid system works. Each human body has an endocannabinoid system made up of numerous molecule, molecular receptors on cell surfaces. These receptors are activated when chemical compounds called cannabinoids attach themselves to those receptors. It may be helpful to think of the cannabinoids as keys, which open the locks, that is, the receptors. There are two kinds of receptors, receptors that deal with the brain and other parts of the nervous system affecting the mental state, and receptors that deal with cells in the immune system and, when activated by certain cannabinoids, appear to help with pain and inflammation. The endocannabinoid system works within people whether they use marijuana or not. Much like the body produces its own morphine chemicals called endorphins, the body produces its own cannabinoids. 
These endocannabinoids help regulate both the brain by slowing down or speeding up neuron activity and the immune system, example, by creating feelings of hunger or controlling metabolism. Because cannabinoid receptors lie on cells all over the body, there is a wide range of physiological effects connected to the endocannabinoid system. The cannabinoid system helps regulate the function of other systems in the body, making it an integral part of the check and balance molecular signaling in our bodies that keep us healthy. Marijuana affects the human body because it contains about 60 cannabinoids of its own. One is called cannabidiol. Cannabidiol is known mostly for its medicinal properties, especially because it is non-psychoactive. It does not produce a high like other cannabinoids, such as tetrahydrocannabinol, THC. Unlike cannabidiol, THC is psychoactive and recreational users search for marijuana with high THC properties. While THC is similar to the endocannabinoids produced by the body, it differs from them in its operation. Like the cannabinoid anadamid naturally produced, THC will attach itself to the body's cannabinoid receptors. THC jumps on the receptors, but unlike the body-produced cannabinoid, it stays there. THC initially hijacks neurons and produces an effect that is longer and more pronounced than the one the body produces itself. And this produces a high and can kill neurons if the response is not turned off in time. So endocannabinoids are unable to produce these prolonged and pronounced effects. Only external cannabinoids like THC can create a high. The effects of THC, however, vary tremendously from person to person. When people use it recreationally, they do so to achieve a high, that is, a state of pleasure. But more physiological effects can accompany THC use, including, among other things, motor instability, decreased reaction time, attention deficit, increased heart rate, and a distorted sense of time. These effects can be unpredictable, especially with novice users. Endocannabinoid receptors are located throughout the body, affecting a wide range of body areas. Also, cannabis strains themselves differ because each plant can be unique. Certain blends are designed to achieve particular effects. In short, people often react differently to the same kind of marijuana. What makes one person giggle will make someone else paranoid. The variance in highs and experiences draws people to marijuana. For them, it can be a new experience every time, or at least a new way to experience the same old thing. 
What about the history of cannabis? Historians tell us cannabis was cultivated in China 4000 BC and used medicinally. Archaeologists have found mention of cannabis used in the ancient Near East among Assyrians and Babylonians as far back as 1700 BC. The Scythians would use cannabis for rituals in their cult for the dead. During funerals of leaders, the Scythians inhaled cannabis smoke in order to get high and honor the memory of the dead person. Closer to home, America has used cannabis back in the 1800s. In fact, medicinal cannabis research reached its height of popularity during the latter half of the 19th century. From 1840 to 1900, medical literature was published recommending it for various illnesses and discomforts. Even groceries and drugstores began openly advertising cannabis. Mexican immigrants began smoking marijuana around 1900, and shortly thereafter, federal and state governments began to regulate and then limit cannabis use. Here in Canada, cannabis was deemed illegal 1923, after the Narcotics Drug Act um, Amendment Bill introduced the act to prohibit the improper use of opium and other drugs, adding cannabis in addition to opium, cocaine, and morphine. The Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 in the U.S., effectively outlawed marijuana, and by 1941, marijuana disappeared from the United States. In the 1960s, marijuana started to become popular among the hippie movement. In 1970, the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act in the U.S. labeled marijuana to have no medical use and a high potential for abuse. As a result, marijuana became illegal altogether. In 2001, the Canadian government enacted the first rendition of the country's medical marijuana law, allowing licensed patients to grow their own cannabis or access it from licensed growers. 23 states in the U.S. have made medicinal use legal. 17 states have chosen to decriminalize marijuana. By 2014, Colorado, Washington, Alaska, and Oregon legalized marijuana for recreational purposes, and in 2017, the Government of Canada proposed the Cannabis Act, which would legalize the possession, use, cultivation, and purchase of limited amounts of cannabis by adults 18 years of age and older. What about the medical benefits? Well, history has revealed that ancient cultures and even 19th century Americans used marijuana for medicinal purposes. Supporters of medicinal marijuana will attest to this historical precedence in order to bolster their position. Medicinal marijuana is less harmful than many other prescribed drugs. They base their claims off marijuana's therapeutic ratio or therapeutic index. A therapeutic ratio is a comparison of the amount of a therapeutic agent that causes the therapeutic effect to the amount that causes death. 
A drug with a higher ratio requires more intake in order for an overdose to occur. Someone who uses marijuana would have to try at least 10,000 times harder to overdose on it than on lithium or digoxin. Marijuana is less lethal than many prescription drugs. One doctor sums up the hopes some have. Marijuana's potential for harm is so low compared to most pharmaceutical drugs in common practice that we ought to be intensively exploring its medical benefits and the best way to realize them. So what are some of the therapeutic effects marijuana produces in the human body? These cannabinoids can slow down the amount of pain messages that are being relayed to the brain. As a result, users feel less pain. Whether smoked or ingested through edibles, the cannabinoids in marijuana affect all kinds of pain as well, from abnormal nerve function caused by diabetes to pain from surgery and even chronic pain from arthritis. When pain exists, inflammation often accompanies it. Marijuana appears to help relieve inflammation too. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, and multiple sclerosis, MS, patients often suffer frequent pain, which cannabis control to a certain extent. Marijuana appears to have promise as a way to improve mobility and slow down degeneration of neurons in patients who have ALS or MS. It may do so well enough that it could ultimately limit the degree of chronic disability in these diseases. The studies are not completely conclusive by any means. Scientists perform studies on animals and further studies with humans must be performed before firmer answers can be given. Cancer shows up in people even more frequently than ALS or MS. Aside from the pain of the disease itself, chemotherapy treatments present major problems in their own right, particularly nausea and lack of appetite. Cannabis helps relieve these symptoms. So this drug sounds pretty promising. What are the risks and drawbacks? Well, even with some promising studies, the body of evidence still needs quite a bit of work before the medical community can openly promote or confidently discourage cannabis as medicine. Scientists still need to prove that the drug works consistently in the ways some tests hint at. If it does, they must also answer how best to administer the drug. Just as importantly, scientists need to understand the long-term effects of such use. The medical community rightly places a high emphasis on precision, especially when prescribing doses of a certain drug. In a hospital, nurses and doctors carefully administer proper dosages to patients after consulting the notes. If patients go home with a prescription, they have the doctor's orders detailing how much medication they should take and when. That is how prescriptions work. They specify in detail how much should be used and when. 
That is a fundamental principle of modern pharmacology. Marijuana presents a problem with those normal rules of pharmacology. Cannabis is not strictly pharmacological. Doctors and patients cannot simply administer a consistent dose and confidently declare that a consistent response will happen. For each patient, it is guess and check. I mean, that's the opposite of how Tylenol works. People can look at a bottle of Tylenol, read the instructions, follow those instructions, and be confident that pain should go away. Granted, some may double the recommended dosage if they have a bigger body. However, they still confidently know that whatever consistent dose they take will produce a consistent response. The way people administer marijuana into their system is a major reason why it is not like other common drugs. People administer marijuana through three common methods. The most common is smoke. Smoking, people either roll up marijuana into a cigarette and smoke that or put an amount into the end of a small pipe, light the marijuana with fire and breathe in the smoke produced. Another common method is called vaporizing. This method heats up the marijuana, producing a cannabinoid-filled vapor, which is inhaled. Vaporizing avoids the smoke inhalation caused by burning marijuana. Many users also eat marijuana-infused foods. That's often called edibles. Edibles are food produced prepared with marijuana in them, and when eaten, they administer the cannabinoids. The problem lies in the fact it is very hard to administer a consistent dose, especially for novice users. Along with this trouble, different strains of cannabis, cannabis have different amounts of the needed cannabinoids, so qualifying a dose becomes difficult. Each strain would require a different amount. As long as smoking and vaporization remain the most commonly used methods of application. Concerns will rise over potential respiratory and pulmonary problems. Smoking tobacco has well-documented negative effects on the human lungs, chief among them being lung cancer. More long-term studies are needed. What about the biblical principles? Well, God gave his inspired word in order that sinners might hear the gospel and their souls be healed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible's purpose is not to be a handbook that tells its readers what dietary rules to follow, how to come up with the best retirement plan, or even how to practice medicine. The Bible's chief concern is care for souls over care for bodies. Yet... God is still the Almighty who preserves his creation and creatures by richly and daily providing all they need to keep this body and life. Just as Luther so beautifully wrote, Does medicinal marijuana fall within all that I need? So, is cannabis in the Bible? Well, yes, plants are mentioned in the Bible, Genesis 1.29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with its seed in it, they will be yours for food. 
So maybe cannabis was part of the created good, or maybe it developed later. Either way, if it was part of the created good, it was also part of the fall. Everything got tainted with sin. Genesis 3, 17 and 18. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, weeds, and you will eat the plants of the field. There's no doubt a fallen humanity can abuse a fallen creation. That has certainly been proven. Archaeologists have found ancient records coming from Egypt and Mesopotamia, which detail the use of cannabis for religious and medical purposes. Scholars date these records as far back as 1700 BC. Of course, right between these two powerful regions lay God's chosen people, Israel. Surrounded by Egypt and Assyria, some scholars claim it was only natural for the Israelites to incorporate cannabis into their society too, especially into their religious culture. Some point to Exodus 30, verse 23, which records the recipe for holy anointing oil. One of the ingredients is pronounced in the original Hebrew, kaneh bosom. And while it may sound a little like cannabis, scholars refer to, prefer to translate it as aromatic cane or fragrant cane. Research supports the interpretation that this plant was of a reed variety, something which cannabis certainly is not. It was likely either lemongrass or calamus that was referred to in Exodus. While the sound of the Hebrew word might indeed raise eyebrows initially, it's not a convincing argument that cannabis is mentioned in the Bible. There's just no proof that it was used as incense or healing oil in the Bible. Some people point to Matthew 25, 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. That God calls us to come to the aid of suffering, of the suffering of others. And throughout the Bible, God gives a tremendous number of examples where people are healed of ailments, both through natural and miraculous means. Some miraculous healings that may stick out include the Israelites and the bronze serpent, Numbers 21, cleansing of Naaman's leprosy, 2 Kings chapter 5, and the healing of Saul's blindness, Acts chapter 9. Not only does God have the power to heal the body, he is also concerned about his creature's health. In fact, quite a few Psalms thank him for past healings and ask for future ones. The Holy Spirit led David to write so beautifully, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. In addition to providing accounts of miraculous healings, the Bible also includes examples of people using natural medicine to aid in recovery. When God promised that King Hezekiah would live after an illness struck him, Isaiah instructed, 
Prepare a compress of figs and apply it to the boil and he will recover. Isaiah 38, 21. In Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan cared for the injured man when he poured oil and wine on the wounds. The Apostle Paul also instructed Timothy to add a little wine to his routine because of his stomach and his frequent illnesses. 1 Timothy 5.23 One also wonders what sort of medical insight Dr. Luke shared with Paul during the time they spent together on missionary journeys. The Bible lists cases where natural medicine has legitimate uses. Can the same be said about marijuana? Obviously, Jesus provides the perfect example of care for souls and body. Jesus' entire ministry shows just how concerned and compassionate he was about people's health. The miracles he performed in the Bible are plentiful, and John supposed that if all of Jesus' miracles were recorded, all of the things that he did, even the whole world would not have the room for the books that would be written, John 21, 25. That is why prayers in worship often address Jesus as the great physician. After he ascended into heaven, Jesus worked through his apostles to continue miraculous healings. It's in the book of Acts. You can read it. All of this, of course, was Jesus' way of getting people's attention in order that the gospel might be more clearly heard. As the omnipotent and omniscient Lord, Jesus knew what needed to be done, knew how to do it, and could do that very thing. People, despite best intentions, do not have those perfect attributes. If medicinal marijuana involves protecting or improving the function of God-given bodies, and God himself has shown concern for the health of his creatures, then could it be okay? Also, medicinal marijuana is not about seeking a pleasure or a high. Then there certainly is potential for using it as medicine. In fact, medicinal marijuana can be cultivated so that it contains high levels of non-psychoactive cannabinoid and low levels of THC, the cannabinoid that makes people high. Therefore, medicinal marijuana can be used in such a way that the head high is limited. Therapeutic effects then occur mostly within the problematic areas of the body. Also, medicinal marijuana can be used for a relatively short time in many cases. For instance, a cancer patient could take marijuana for only as long as the chemo treatments and their nasty side effects runs. Thus, when governed by a godly respect for bodies as a gift from God and used within the scope of local laws and regulations and prescribed by your doctor, Christians can use medicinal marijuana in good conscience. Chronic pain, however, presents a potential problem for abuse. While it could very well help members with ALS and MS, plenty of people abuse the med medicinal system for recreational purposes. This is a known fact. They use medicinal marijuana laws 
for very subjective chronic issues just so they can have a way of using the drug for recreational purposes to achieve a high. While the Christian using medicinal marijuana may have a clear conscience, medicinal use still has the potential to offend other Christians or even turn off an unbeliever to the gospel, especially since it's been illegal for almost the last hundred years. Christ reminds Christians that they are the salt of the earth and then commands them, continue being salt of the earth. Matthew 5, 13. In other words, our Christian witness is important. Personal conduct and love for neighbor play key roles in this endeavor. There still is a stigma with marijuana, and that has to be taken into account. If Christians do use marijuana as medicine, it's probably best that it be done quite privately between you and the medical expert in your life, your doctor. Now here is one final concern, which we will talk uh, more about at length when we deal with recreational use. We tend, generally speaking, to be a self-medicating culture. Think about that for a minute. When we don't feel good, we Google to find out what we can do to feel better. I Googled my symptoms, and it said that I needed a vacation. From, from naturopathy to herbal to over-the-counter to mail-order supplements, we're willing to do whatever it takes to feel good. Medicinal marijuana is probably okay when it's regulated and administered by the healthcare professional, but when it is used by the individual as, as a self-medicating way to cope, it becomes just another addiction or dependency in our pursuit of happiness. Alcohol and food can be abused for the same comforting effect. So can a Christian use marijuana for medicinal purposes with a clear conscience? Yeah, it seems so. I will be able to go to my doctor for my sore back. And after I have tried everything that he has suggested, and none of it seems to work for me, the doctor may suggest to prescribe medical marijuana for me. I'll be okay with that because I understand all the issues now. I understand the debate. I get the concerns and the cautions. And I understand the freedom I have in my Savior, Jesus Christ. Stay tuned for Recreational Marijuana.